You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Today is uh, lesson 13 in our series from 1 John called uh, Reset, and we're in 1 John chapter 5 beginning in verse number 6 and going through verse number 12. And we're going to read the text, and the title of the message this morning is this, The Source of Life. The text is trying to show us, convince us that Jesus is the source of life. And I'm going to use as the theme for the message as we look at the text and other things in its context this morning, uh, the last verse, verse 12, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. That's pretty clear. That's pretty emphatic. There's a line and there's uh, people who believe things on one side of the line and people who believe things on the other side of the line. The question you need to seek to answer this morning, not just rationally, not just in your thinking, in your brain, not just as a point of information, not just as a doctrinal position that we hold as a church, but in your heart of hearts, you need to answer this question. Where is real life found? Where is real living found? What experience or existence causes human beings to feel and be the most alive? How can I experience life to the fullest? How can I be fully alive? And I want to suggest to you this morning that there are two schools of thought and only two schools of thought. There is life in Christ and there is life outside of Christ. There is life with Christ. There is life without Christ. There is life that is impossible without Jesus Christ, and there is life that is impossible with Jesus Christ. Because believing that Christ and Christ alone is enough for life may not be enough for some. They may need more than Jesus. As we look at the text this morning, what we're going to see is this, that God the Father, God the Creator, God who made you, spoke everything into existence, formed you with the work of His hands, your brain, your heart, your mind, everything about you. God the Father is summoned, is brought forth to give testimony as to what the source of life is. Listen to His testimony this morning, 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse number 6. I hope you have your Bibles this morning and you have turned there. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. Verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. We hear a lot of people say a lot of things about a lot of stuff, right? And we believe that. What is COVID-19? 
I, I would venture to say that none of us in this room knows what COVID-19 is. The only, the only thing we know about COVID-19 is somebody else's testimony about it, right? Somebody else's testimony. Was the election rigged? I, I don't know. I know I voted. I don't know if they counted my vote or not. What if they stole my vote? I didn't vote for anybody dead. I didn't vote twice. I voted once. But what if somebody did vote twice? What if somebody did vote for somebody that was dead? What if there was a compu computer glitch? You know, I know nothing about that. All I know is I stood in line, and I went in there, and I punched some buttons on a machine that may or may not have been reliable. They took a piece of paper, put it in another machine, ran it through, ran it back out, and put my paper ballot in one place and tabulated a computer ballot in another place. I do not know. I'm just taking somebody else's word for it. In fact, I've never seen Donald Trump or Joe Biden except on TV, and that may have been a fabrication. I went and got tested for COVID, and they took uh, a Q-tip the size of a drumstick and rammed it up just south of my brain. I, they pulled out some gray matter on it, I'm certain. And I don't know if it was true or not. I just know they did a test and told me what the test said. We take the testimony of a lot of people. Some of you have uh, maybe had COVID and you went to the doctor and you walked in and you watched somebody take a little bottle. You don't know what was in that bottle. You don't have a clue what was in that bottle. All you know is that somebody took something and, and created some material, put it on the outside of that bottle and said, this is what's in that bottle. You don't know what was in that bottle. It was expensive. They drew it out in a needle and then you watch somebody tapping it to get the air bubbles out of it. And I don't know if they got the air bubbles out of it or not. I just took somebody's word for it, right? And then they took it and stuck it into my arm. And then they squeezed it and put that material that, I don't know if there was a computer chip in it or not. I don't know if that was the mark of the beast or not. I don't know what's going on. All I, all I know is I'm taking somebody else's word for it. I'm taking somebody else's word for it. We take the word of a lot of people for a lot of things. He said, if we receive the testimony of men, by the way, some will say, well, I don't trust anybody. Did you check the seat? Did you check the ceiling? You better check the ceiling right? Did you get up under your car to make sure there wasn't a bomb under it this morning? You're trusting that some things are real or not real or true or not true. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. If you do not believe what God has said about Jesus, you do not believe God. You are calling God a liar. Verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So where is life found? Let me give you some context. I want to go all the way back to Genesis 3 because uh, this courtroom scene that is being set up before us today has been going on for thousands of years. And when you go to Genesis 3, what you see almost immediately in Genesis 3 is Satan questioning the Word of God, Satan questioning the commands of God, Satan questioning the instruction of God, Satan questioning the trustworthiness of God, Satan questioning the goodness of God, and Satan offering this proposition, God is holding out on you. God isn't telling you 
everything. There is more than God. There is more than what he is telling you. And Satan is telling Adam and Eve, wait, God has laid out some rules, but I have something better. Rather than being God's slave, rather than being burdened down by his presence and his rules, why don't you consider being your own God? Why don't you consider making your own rules? Why don't you consider being your own boss? In fact, here's a test. See this fruit? What did God say? God said that you shall not eat of it and you shall not even touch it. Eve now is falling for Satan's trap and she's believing what he's saying and she's even adding to the word of God. God said, don't eat it. God said, stay away from it. Satan says, let me tell you the truth that God does not want you to know. And Eve all of a sudden is now partaking of the fruit that God said not to partake of. And she is seeing that what Satan has said seems true, seems right. And God seems wrong. And I can imagine that Satan said, look, I'm here for you. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to have fullness of life. I want you to be free. I want you to be fulfilled. But in order to do that, you've got to reject God. You don't need God. And when you reject God, you can be your own God. When you reject God, you can make your own rules. When you reject God, you can have life. What is life to Satan? Well, 1 John chapter 2 tells us that. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It can all be yours. You can love who you want to love. You can sleep with who you want to sleep with. You can believe what you want to believe. You can kill who you want to kill. You can own what you want to own. You can use what you want to use. You can pursue whatever makes you feel good. Anything that attracts your senses, you can inject anything into your veins that you want to. You can inhale anything into your lungs that you want to. You can do whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you feel important, whatever makes you feel powerful. That is life. No sexual boundaries, no restrictive truth, no respect for human life. Me at the center, I am God and no one better tell me any different. This is life. And you bunch of losers over there that are sitting around the Word of God and reading Scripture and believing that this man, Jesus, who died, you, you, you are the ones that believe that he is life. Y'all are the ones that have been fooled. So who, is, who has life and where is life found And who are you going to believe? I want to invite you this morning into a courtroom. And I want to ask you today to serve as the jury. I also want to introduce you to the prosecutor. His name is Satan. He's the accuser. Satan is coming bringing charges against Jesus because Jesus has said he is life. And Satan is going to prove that Jesus isn't life. And he's going to ask Jesus to prove that he is life. We're going to walk across the room and we're going to see Jesus, the defendant. We're going to see Jesus, the accused. And Jesus, after he is accused by Satan and Satan makes his case as to why Jesus isn't life, Jesus is going to prove to you with several witnesses why he is life. In fact, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to call the ultimate witness, the one who cannot lie, the one who is forever true, the one who created all things. And this witness is going to tell us who Jesus is. And then you are going to have to decide who is Jesus Christ. Let me introduce you to the prosecutor.
His name is Satan. He is a crafty, characterless lawyer. He is a Bible scholar. I don't know how many systematic theology books you may have read. I've read a few in my day. Satan would put all of our collective knowledge and study combined in this room to shame. He is a Bible scholar. He knows the Scriptures. He has prosecuted some of the greatest people in history and won. He is indescribably beautiful, and he is intoxicatingly convincing. He is scheming. He is planning. He is cunning. He has inexhaustible lines of thinking and arguing. He is strong. He is powerful. He is relentless. He is tireless. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never lets his guard down. And he is always looking for places of weakness and vulnerability. We know from, for a fact, as we look at his resume, that he is a liar. He is a murderer. He is a thief. He comes to, to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And his ultimate goal is your death. But until he kills you, he's going to try to lure you in and make you think that he has what you want and that he has what you need and that he is life. And life is not found in Jesus Christ. His name is Abaddon and Apollyon. He is destruction and he is destroyer. And his desire is to destroy everyone and everybody around him. Consider his argument this morning against Jesus Christ. Listen as he pleads his case. This man claims to be God. This man Jesus claims to be the Son of God. This, this man Jesus claims to be life and the source of life. But here are the facts. This man Jesus Christ was born in a cave. And as we look at his birth certificate, we see one name. Her name is Mary History will record, and I can bring the testimony of none other than his adopted father, Joseph, who will tell us that we really aren't sure who his biological father was. This man, Jesus, that tells you his life grew up in Nazareth. May I quote the word of God? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Rhetorical question. Everybody knows the answer. Absolutely not. His family was poor. He was uneducated. And for the first 30 years of his life, he never accomplished anything but maybe sweeping up some sawdust around his father's carpentry shop. At age 30, he started running around Palestine with a bunch of classless rednecks, men of questionable character. Matthew collected the taxes. <laughs> We know what tax collectors do. This is his buddy, a tax collector. Oh, by the way, he hung out with a guy named Zacchaeus. Everybody know who Zacchaeus was? He was a wee little man, climbed up in the tree, and he was ripping everybody off. Guess who he had as his treasurer? That slimy snake, Judas. This is who Jesus is hanging around. He's running around town with a legion, a demoniac, and, and then the best that he could do in attracting people to go along with his 
distorted plan is to find a bunch of fishermen who didn't have anything to do anyway because they couldn't catch fish very well. We also know that this man, Jesus, went to a lot of parties. And important people were not at those parties. Quite frankly, some, some pretty messed up people were at the parties, like harlots and sinners. He partied with lowlifes and rebels. And he was an insurrectionist. This man, Jesus, was uh, an esteemed uh, enemy uh, or an enemy of the esteemed Pharisees and Sadducees. These men of God were constantly challenged by Jesus. Jesus refuted them. Jesus misquoted them. Jesus sabotaged their scriptures and broke all of their amazing and beautiful laws. Jesus, this man that wants to convince you that he, his life was put on trial by one of the greatest governments in human, in human history, the Roman Empire. He was found guilty. He was beaten. He was hung on a wooden cross until dead. <laughs> until dead. Who could kill God? But yet the Romans killed Jesus. Yet he's telling you that he is the source of life. Wouldn't you know it, these low-life criminals, these schemers, these guys that he was in cahoots with stole his body and fabricated a story and said that he was resurrected from the grave. But the truth is that we have found him and he's seated right over here and we're bringing charges against him. And look at him. He looks like a lamb that has been slain. He's bloodied, he's bruised, he's beaten. And if you did a close calculation of his injuries, you would say, that's not life, that's death. Yet this man Jesus wants you to believe that he is the source of life. And let me bring another piece of evidence. Believe it or not, but everybody that was close to him and everybody that followed him and everybody in the early church either faced death dislocation, relocation, persecution. Their life was not good. Their life was, quite frankly, very miserable. Yet this man Jesus is telling you that he is life. Here are his words. Listen to these words. Do these words make sense to any of y'all? He said, anybody that wants to gain their life We'll lose it. What kind of philosopher is that? What kind of mathematics is that? Who believes that? Who's going to attract anybody with that? He said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up a cross. Need I say more? Indulge me. Jesus said, be humble. Don't be proud. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. How ridiculous is his message? Is that life? Is that the life you want to live? Is that life? And in fact, we find recorded some of his closest followers, a guy named Paul. Paul said, Hey, everything that I lived for, all of my notoriety, all of my religion, 
all of my accomplishments, everything that the world had to offer. Here's what Paul said. How ridiculous is this? He said, I counted it all as refuse. I counted it all as dung that I might gain Christ. Here's what Paul said. And this is the one who says he is the life and this is his follower. Paul said, I die daily. (laughs) And he is the life? I think not. I think that this man is an imposter. I don't think there's any chance at all in heaven or on earth that this man could be the source of life. And I plead with you today, jury, do not believe him. Do not trust him. I rest my case. Jesus now presents his case. If you're establishing truth, and according to Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse number 15, to establish a fact, you have to have three witnesses. Jesus brings eight. The text we're looking at this morning in 1 John 5, God the Father brings three, the water, the blood, and the Spirit, right? But I want you to listen as Jesus defends himself. You say, why are you telling us all of this? Because I want to build up to the final testimony of the Father that is absolutely and completely irrefutable. And I want you to understand today, jury, that when all is said and done, you have got to decide if you are going to believe Satan and his lies or if you have been caught up in his web and you think you are finding life somewhere that is not in Christ or in Christ plus something or are you finding life in Christ and Christ alone? So Jesus comes and he brings eight witnesses. The first witness that Jesus Christ brings is the Old Testament. You remember in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus and he all of a sudden comes along and appears to these guys and he's walking along with them and he begins in verse number 27 to tell them how everything, what, in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. He, he brings the witness of the Old Testament. In fact, in, in John chapter 5 and verse number 39, John who wrote 1 John says this, about the testimony of the Scriptures as it relates to Jesus Christ. John 5, 39. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and and it is they that bear witness, witness to me. So Jesus brings the Old Testament Scriptures as his first witness. Is Jesus Christ the source of life? The Old Testament scriptures bear witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the source of life. You can go to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and understand that John the Baptist came as the witness, as the messenger. To do what? To say, hey, I'm John the Baptist. I'm here to build a great church. I'm here to be a great preacher. Hey, I'm John the Baptist. Look at me on YouTube. Hey, I'm John the Baptist. Follow me. Hey, I'm John the Baptist. Buy one of my T-shirts. Hey, I'm John the Baptist. Download my podcast. No, John the Baptist didn't come to do that. John the, John the Baptist came to be a witness to proclaim, hey, make straight the path. One is coming whose sandals I cannot unlatch. One who is coming, and he's coming with the Spirit and with fire. This is the Son of God. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He bears witness. Third witness 
the disciples. Peter comes to the stand and he says, I was there. You can read it in Matthew chapter 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah were there and it was so absolutely amazing. Philip comes forward and said, I was there and I said, Lord, we've got this, these loaves and these fishes. How can we feed these people? And I watched him feed 5,000 people. Witnesses came forth that said I was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee and I watched the water turned in to wine. There were those that would come forward and say, I saw Jesus healing. I saw Jesus raise the dead. I was there when Lazarus was raised from the dead and everybody knew that he was in the grave for four days. The storm was unlike any storm that I'd ever seen and we were being tossed and we knew that our life was going to be over if something didn't happen and all of a sudden Jesus wakes up and stands up and speaks out and everything is just as calm as it has ever been. Paul comes and says, I was on the road to Damascus. I thought I was doing good things. I was persecuting the church. I uh, believed that the church was bad. I believed that all of this talk about Jesus was bad. I believed that Jesus was an enemy of the true God. But on the road to Damascus, God revealed himself to me and showed me that Jesus Christ himself was the source of life. The fourth witness would be converts, the woman of Samaria who was at the well and Jesus is having a conversation with her and she goes through town and she bursts forth saying, come see a man who has told me everything. Is this not the Christ? Legion sitting there unchained with no demons. Jesus, let me go with you. No, go and bear witness to what has happened to you. A man who was blind but can now see. <laughs> and I don't really understand everything, but here's what I do know. I once was lost or once was blind and now I see. And this man Jesus is the reason. These converts are bearing witness over and over and over again to Jesus Christ as the source of life. The fifth witness is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the only way in. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And the only way that you can go to the Father and experience the Father is through being connected to me. We see in John chapter 5, verses 36 to 38, that the works of Jesus bear witness to him. No one else could have done what Jesus had done or has done except that he be from God. And then in John chapter 16 and verse number 14, the Holy Spirit bears witness. I came to bear witness, to be a witness, to point people to Jesus Christ. And finally, we come to our text this morning and we see Jesus, his eighth witness, God the Father being called to the stand. Three infallible witnesses. Witness number one is the water. I believe the water is talking about the baptism of Jesus. By the way, there are a lot of different opinions and thoughts on this issue. Um, I, I'm not willing to fight over it. All I know is that Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3, and I want to go to Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse number 13 and let you see what happened. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. 
Jesus, this was the baptism of repentance. Jesus did not come as someone who was repentant. He didn't have anything to repent of. Jesus came to be baptized to identify with sinful man. That's why Jesus came. The Gnostics believed that the Spirit came upon Jesus at uh, his baptism. Here's what you need to understand from the text, and uh, hopefully I won't go back and cover it again, but if I do, you'll have to indulge me and maybe believe that you're supposed to hear it twice. Look at verse 6. This is he who came. What does that mean? This is the eternal Son who entered human history. And he entered it at his birth and he was, he was God and he was man. He was God in flesh from the time of his birth. And at the baptism, that is not when the spirit entered him and he all of a sudden becomes the Messiah. He was the Messiah from his birth, but he came to be baptized to identify with sinful man. Verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. You do not come, you do, uh, and, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, con- then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Is this man the source of life? I have seven witnesses and I cannot find a more convincing witness, a more truthful witness. This witness will not lie. It is God himself. The witness of the water. You can go to uh, Matthew 27 and you can see the witness of the blood. Matthew 27 and verse 45. Okay. Excuse me. Yeah, I was in the wrong place. I was right, but I was wrong. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, the man is calling Elijah. And one of them once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it, put it on a reed and gave it to him. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now, notice what happens. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom immediately. The witness of God the Father is that he goes into the temple and there's this huge curtain that no one could possibly rip in two on their own immediately. And all of a sudden the temple rips into now man on, on, based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and enter into the very holy presence of God. Notice what else happens. And the earth shook and rocks were split and tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him 
Keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this is the Son of God. This is the source of life. So the water and the blood and the Spirit, and the Spirit is operative in two ways. Number one, the Spirit came historically at Pentecost. We, we, we know that. We can read it in Acts chapter 2. And the Spirit is pro, proclaiming this message, the good news of God, affirming Christ as the source of life. But we know in, in Romans 8, there's also the subjective work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. He says in Romans 8, Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons in whom we also cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That we are the children of God. The Spirit at work. And so the text is telling us this morning that there is this eighth Witness, and there are, I'm sure, many more witnesses to the reality of the source of life. Life is found in Christ and Christ alone. But Satan is going to come and present a case against the Lord Jesus Christ. The point of the text is this Satan, for thousands of years, has been arguing his case, has been pleading his case. And by the way, Satan, for thousands of years, has been convincing a great swath of humanity. The higher percentage of humanity is convinced that what Satan is offering them is right. They listen to our message saying, life is found in this man, Jesus Christ, that he alone is the source of life. But then people come and say, I've, I've asked Jesus to save me and I've believed in Jesus, but believe it or not, what Jesus gives me can in no way compare to what I'm getting over here in the world. You parents can bring your kids to South Point and you can sit them down under the teaching of the Word of God. But until something transacts in their heart, all that you are allowing us to fill their brains with is not going to change them or convince them to believe that Jesus Christ is the source of life. That's why the, the world operates so robustly. That's why the world operates so robustly in many of our lives. It's because we really, 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 really don't believe that Jesus is the source of life. The text breaks down like this. The Son of God who eternally existed appeared but was rejected. He came into his own and his own received him not. The second thing in the text is this, the witness of God regarding his son. The third thing in the text, and I've already touched on it, we receive and believe testimony from all sorts of people about all sorts of things. Verse 4 from this text, there is, there is no more authoritative testimony than the testimony of God. And God brings these historical events and lays them out before us and says, this my son is the source of life. The fifth thing in the text is this. If you believe in the son based on what God has said about his son, then you have life. If you do not believe that Jesus is the source of life, you do not have life. And you go all the way back to Eden and you're standing before Satan with a piece of fruit and listening to and believing his lies. 
So where is life? Where is real life? Where is the source of life? And I appeal to you, the jury, what are you going to believe? And I would take it a step further and ask you, where are you living? Which life are you living in? Did you hear me? Where are you living? Which life are you living in? What, what are your values? How are you acting? What choices are you making? Because your values and your choices and your actions reveal what you believe is the source of life. Do you believe that life is found in Christ alone? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is life? Is Jesus Christ your life? How are you living I remember in my first church, we had these T-shirts printed up. And it was Riverside Baptist Church, and they were, they were really nice. And you know you've really arrived when you got church T-shirts. By the way, we have some in the bookstore. <laughs> and so we had this young man who was hearing impaired. He couldn't hear at all. And he came, and he got saved, and, and he got baptized, and he was on fire. And then we got to missing him for a few weeks, and somebody said, he's in Fayetteville. If you don't know anything about Fayetteville, not Fayetteville, Georgia, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Fayetteville, North Carolina's a military town, and in Fayetteville, North Carolina, they have some pretty uh, questionable places that you can go hang out. And this young man was going to some of these questionable places to hang out, sinful places to hang out. Just think of the bottom of the barrel, and that's where he was going to hang out. Uh, oddly enough, he was wearing his church T-shirt to all of those places. And you're like, there's, there's something that's just not adding up here. Here's a guy that's wearing this thing that says, I'm part of Riverside Baptist Church. I believe the Word of God. I believe in the Spirit of God. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to this nightclub of ill repute where some of the most unreasonable things in the world are going on. A lot of us are wearing the T-shirt but the way we live practically is inconsistent with the slogan on the T-shirt. Jesus is the source of life. Am I living like Jesus is the source of life? Do you believe that life is found in Christ alone? And here's, here's what I want to suggest to you, and here's what I believe the book of 1 John is teaching us. Listen carefully. We can bring the rational truth about Jesus. I can tell you all of these things about Jesus. I can give you all of this information about Jesus. That's true information. I can even tell you what God the Father has said about Jesus. But you will never experience Jesus and this rational truth about him. You will never experience rational truth about Jesus practically until you experience Jesus relationally. You will never experience the truth of the Word of God, the things that the Bible says about Jesus. You will never experience Jesus as the source of life, as confirmed by eight witnesses. And you say, well, there, there's one witness, two witnesses, three witnesses, four. Listen to these witnesses. These are great witnesses. Let me write down their testimony. Let me record their testimony. Let me listen to their testimony over and over and over again. That testimony in and of itself will not change you on the inside or practically or transform your character until you know Christ relationally. 
I could stand up here this morning. I could preach Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. I could say, you know what, guys? Hey, let me tell you something, you guys. Bless God, you need to love your wives like Christ loved the church. You need to love your... Are you loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Uh, I can tell you, you're probably not. But you know what you need to do? You just need to try harder. Hallelujah. So I hope you feel guilty, and I hope you try harder. But here's what I want to tell you. Looking at Ephesians 5 as a command that, that you just got to try harder to obey is never going to get you there. It's never going to get you there. I won't touch wives submit to your husbands, okay? I don't want to be crucified, right? But listen to me. If you would understand the love that Jesus Christ has for you, if you would understand that he loved you so much that he laid down his life, he laid down his life to pay for your sin. He loved you so much that your sin debt could be paid. And he says, I want to come live in you. Jesus Christ rose victorious over sin, ascended to heaven, sent the Spirit, and he says, if you will believe in me, if you will believe in me, then I will come and live in you and I will change you from the inside out. I will change your character. That's what the goal of discipleship is the transformation of the inner man into Christ-likeness. Into Christ-likeness. It is then when I have a relationship with Jesus Christ by virtue of his death and his burial and his resurrection and I'm trusting him and the spirit lives in me and I'm transformed on the inside now and I have the character of Christ by virtue of the work of Christ that I can now love my wife, what? Like Christ. Like Christ. You've got to understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me, let me suggest, and, and I'm almost done. I'm going to touch on this, and I probably... Here's how God made us physiologically. Our brain, neurologically, okay? There's the right side of my brain and the left side of my brain. Essentially, the right side of my brain is relational. And this is, this is just science, and I'm not opposed to science. In fact, it is a reflection of how the Creator made us. The right side of my brain is relational. The left side of my brain is, relation, is rational. But here's the deal. When information comes into my brain, it goes into the, to the bottom right side of my brain. It travels up through the right side of my brain, which is the relational side of my brain, and then it transfers over and travels into the left side of my brain, which is the rational side of my brain. If things are messed up relationally on the right side of my brain, it is going to affect how I transform information on the rational side of my brain. Watch this. If you do not understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you will never be able to do or obey or line your life up or order your life around the commands of Scripture. And just telling people, running to them rationally and saying, 
Just do what Jesus said. Just do what Jesus said. Just do what Jesus said. It does two things. Number one, it, it circumvents discipleship and it creates a frustrated bunch of people who say that Jesus is not the source of life. I tried that and I couldn't do it. I completely failed and you failed because you were not changed inwardly in your character through a relationship with a God who loves you. Now, now th there are four things neurologically that, that, that neuroscientists have discovered about the right side of your brain in relationship. And I want to tell you that First that John discusses every one of them with us. Number one, for the right side of my brain to function properly, I, I, need, I need to be in a relationship where there is joy, where there's joy. You know if you grow up in a home where there wasn't joy that your life has been completely disoriented as a result of that. There was joy. What is joy? Joy is delight. We're going to close this morning with, um, I'm not, we're not closing right now. Don't get your hopes up. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Right? His countenance. What does that mean? That means that the Lord looks at you with delight. If I am in Christ relationally, I the right side of my brain for it to function properly needs to have a, an atmosphere, a, a context of joy. And I want to tell you that if you were in Christ this morning, God the Father looks at you and he delights in you and you will never comprehend his commands. What did we talk about last week? His commands are not what? Can somebody tell me? Burdensome. Why are his commands not burdensome? Because I understand that he delights in me and he would never ask me to do anything that would not result in my joy and his joy in me. Secondly, secondly, for the right side of the relational side of my brain to work, I, I need uh, said. I need the everlasting love of God. I, listen, this is tough. This is tough. I need attachment that cannot be broken. Most of us don't understand that. Most of us understand that with our parents or even with our children, when something goes wrong, boom, that relationship can be severed in a moment. There is not an attachment that is prolonged that lasts forever. That's, that's, that's really tough. That's really tough if you think about it because what we long for is somebody who comes into our life and says, I love you. I love you. And I'm, I'm going to be here with you. What, what, did, what, what did Jesus say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And lo, I'm with you always. We find the delight of the Father in us through the work of the Son, and we find one who has come to live with us, who loves us. And he says, you know what? The thing that was standing between me and you, the thing that broke our relationship was your sin. I will die for your sin so that I can come and live in you, and you can have that said love, that attachment, that attachment. I struggle with that. I struggle with it. I've just, just from just, Malformation and dysfunction relationships don't work. Maybe you're that way too. I struggle when somebody tells me they love me. I do. I don't believe you. <laughs> I, I do. I do over here. I do over here. But I don't over here. Right? I don't over here. 
And Jesus is saying, I love you. And you say, well, what do you, where, do you, where do you get all this stuff from? It's right here in 1 John. He loved us, and what did he do? He laid down his life for us. Very quickly, uh, two other things that, that, we, um, that we need. We need group identity. We need a group of people that affirm the truth that we believe inside that helps shape how we see ourselves and how we see everyone else. And, and, and fourthly, we need loving correction. Those are all things that are necessary for the right side of our brain to function so that the left side of our brain can process information and truth properly. And it's all rooted in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to know. I've been standing up here this morning talking about Jesus Christ as the source of life. And if you just look at this as just some more information to all of the other information that you're trying to ingest and process that's coming at you from this world, you will never, you will say in your head, uh, uh, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree, Jesus is the source of life. You will never feel satisfied that he is the source of life until you have a relationship with him in which you understand that, that your joy is found in him and he delights in you and he finds joy in you. Where you understand that he loves you with an everlasting love that he will never break. That he brings you into his family that's, that's intended by the power of the Spirit to be this loving family where character is shaped and formed through interaction with other believers in Christ and into this family where there is healthy correction, not a toxic kind of shame, but a healthy kind of shame that warns us when we are getting into things that are inconsistent with his character, inconsistent with his word, inconsistent with his will for us. And so I would ask you this morning, are you experiencing Jesus Christ relationally? Are you experiencing Jesus Christ intimately? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Can you close your eyes and understand just how much he loves you? Can you understand? And I, I, I walk into a room, I, I really do, and some of you that know me know this. I, I look into everybody's eyes. I do. I look into everybody's eyes. And I, I'm, I, don't, I can't see behind your eyes, but I'm trying to read your soul. What's in there? Are you real? Are you real? Are you trustworthy? Right? And I'm not putting everybody to the test. Don't think I'm diagnosing everybody. I'm not doing that. But, but what, what, I'm, what I'm looking for, honest to goodness, is I'm looking for this, this delight and this hesed love. And it is found in Christ, but if you read through 1 John, and I don't have time to go through all of the Scriptures, but read through 1 John, everything that he says about our love for the Father, the Father's love for us, and our love for each other should tell us that we are to be a community where there is joy, where there is connection, where there is deep love, where there is character development, where there is correction for sin. And in that, we will become disciples of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is the source of life? Whoever, let me go back to my original statement and I'll close. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son has life.
So what is life to you? Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. We have this juice and this bread. They represent the life of Christ. His, his, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Jesus Christ took his life and gave it up to die for our sin in our place that we might have life. Our sin has rendered us dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came, the one who was life, and gave up his life that we might have life. And when we take this wafer, which represents his body, and this juice, juice which, which represents his blood, we are saying that we believe that Jesus is the source of life. In him is life. Do you really believe that? And is that confirmed practically by, by what you believe, by how you see the Father and his relationship and his attitude toward you, by how you... Um, relate to other people, and by where you seek joy and connection in the world. Jesus Christ is our life. If you believe that this morning, would you enjoy this meal with me? Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. And he said, drink ye all of it. Let's pray together. For those who are tired, who have been lied to, who were tempted and enticed and lured in by Satan, for those who thought they were getting life, but no, now they're getting death. I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to their heart, that they would see that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us that wear the T-shirt. I pray that our life would reflect what the T-shirt says. In Jesus' name I pray.